Hello and welcome to a side episode of What We Do in the Winter. I hope this finds you happy and well wherever and whenever you happen to be. This episode is a talk between Seamus Carey of the Reason Why podcast and me, Alistair Satchel, of What We Do in the Winter. Seamus's podcast, The Reason Why, was released in the spring of 2022. It consists of 10 themed episodes and two live episodes which round the project off. It explores the social issues, hidden history and culture wars of contemporary Cornwall. For those of you coming to What We Do in the Winter for the first time, it's an oral history podcast about the lives of the people of the Isles of Mull, Iona, Alva, Gometra, Erid and Little Colonsey. There are, at time of releasing, 75 episodes of What We Do in the Winter. The conversation you're about to hear took place in Antoper, Tobermory, Isle of Mull, on the 4th of October 2023 in front of a live audience. It came about thanks to the wonderful Rona Dougal and Nina Pope, who were, at the time of recording, the curators of the visual arts programme at Antoper Mall Theatre. Many thanks to the both of you for organising such a special event. It was just great to be there. Thank you so much. Sound of the event was by Louise Gregory and Tim Olden. Thank you both very much for all the hard work you did on the night and afterwards as well. Thank you. Thank you also to everyone who came along to the event. It was just great to see you all there. At the end, there are a couple of questions from the audience. One from a gentleman who was visiting the island, and another from Sheena Walker, who you can hear in episodes 49 and 66. In response to one of the questions, I mentioned my experience of the SNP as a child, and then don't really follow up about my experience of them since. I'm more than happy to say that since then I've experienced that they have a broad and diverse membership, but of course are not without their issues. I'll leave the politics to the main body of the episode, though. This episode will finish at the end of the live recording, so if you want to know any more about the issues we explore, please visit the episode webpage on whatwedointhewinter.com where you'll find all sorts of links. If you want to support What We Do in the Winter, you can do so by PayPal or Ko-fi, the details of which can be found on the Donate tab on the website. And if you haven't done so already, give Seamus' podcast, The Reason Why, a listen. It's really quite brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Cheers and drasta. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Antoba. And um, yeah, it's great to see a good turnout audience. And this is a sort of experimental kind of evening for us in that we haven't really done anything like this before here. Um, Hopefully, as a lot of you I'm sure know, I'm delighted to welcome Alistair Satchel and Seamus Carey of what we do in the winter and the reason why. <laughs> um, I'm a massive fan of both of the podcasts and I'm really delighted that we've been able to orchestrate this evening of bringing the two of you together in conversation. Um, we spent yesterday afternoon together sort of thinking about the questions and it was a fascinating afternoon, so you're in for a treat, I think. What we're planning to do is to record this evening and the recording will be made available to both <laughs> of our speakers to do with what they will going forward. So you, you may find um, that the conversation will go beyond this room after this evening. There'll be a bit of a space at the end um, for questions from the floor, and you're very welcome you know, to join in. But largely, we're going to spend the first bit just 
listening um, to the two speakers chatting between them. I've got a sort of checklist here of some themes that we wanted to cover in case we go way off topic. Slightly, <laughs> um, yes. And um, I wanted to say, unfortunately, I'm half of the visual arts team here with, with Rona, who originally put me on to Seamus's podcast. Um, so it's a real shame that she's not here this evening to hear it. But it was when, as some of you remember, we had the William Arnold show on in the gallery with the amazing images of Cornwall. And we actually were, we really wanted to try and program to have Seamus um, speaking when the exhibition was on. But actually we were just talking beforehand and a lot of the themes that um, we'll be looking at this evening also come up in Meek and Brooker's beautiful exhibition, which is on in the gallery at the moment. So I'd encourage everybody to have a look at that if you haven't already. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to you two. <laughs> um, and... I think we'll start, because some of you are, may not be familiar with both of the podcasts, so we'll outline that a little bit in case you're feeling panicky about that um, before we start. Great. Take it away, you two. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Evening. Seamus, do you want to outline uh, the reasons why? What is the reasons why? The reason why. I made the reason why. So I'm Seamus Carey. I grew up in Cornwall. I then am a musician. Uh, primarily and then I moved away to travel and tour a lot and living in Cornwall and being a touring musician was almost impossible so I just went away and didn't come back and something we'll probably come on to later but I definitely grew up with this thing of to be successful and find interesting work or opportunities I had to leave Cornwall that's such a narrative of you have to get out and go to the city and brain drain, etc., etc. So uh, in 2018, I moved back to Cornwall and I made the conscious decision because I think I'd been away and I was missing the landscape and a sense of community. I was touring all the time. And when I'd get to the end of a theatre tour, I'd say goodbye to all my intent friends that I'd been hanging out with really intensely for six months and then I'd never hear from them ever again. <laughs> and so I wanted to be part of a community. So I moved back. And then lockdown happened and... I started to become acutely aware of the tensions rising and the social problems and the culture wars and the frictions and they were only deeply heightened by COVID and that and that scenario of people coming in and the, the fear of COVID coming in and being brought in by outsiders and stuff like that. So I set out almost as a type of genuine personal therapy to go and just chat to people and try and get their angle on it because I was feeling so confused. And I took my recorder, I was very naive, I'd never made a podcast before. I wrote a list of about five or six people and then every person I spoke to said, oh, well, you should talk to this person as well. And that snowballed to this, I ended up interviewing far too many people, over 50, and the conversations were completely rambling and half of it would be just talking and catching up about my mum or something and then we'd get back to the topic and then, um, and then I sat on it for a while and it was there was no funding. I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And I started to just pick through the interviews and find themes. And, and I then got a friend of mine who works in Radio 4 called Paul Dodgson to give me some advice. And he said, just sit with it and let the themes rise to the surface and then you'll be able to make connections. So that's what I did. And then second homes, the housing crisis, tourism, um, gentrification, uh, race, rural racism, social issues like uh, homophobia or transphobia, all those kind of things that get often pinned on a rural place as an, as an assumption came to the surface. And so I then sat on my own for a very long time in my shed in Camborne, piecing them all together, 
writing the music was really fun because that's the thing I knew how to do most naturally. And yeah, and then finally got a bit of Arts Council funding to release it at the end and publicise it and get a bit of help with that. And it went out and I had absolutely no expectations that it would go very far. And I got an email yesterday telling me that it's had 75,000 downloads since then. Mm. So it was like, whoa, this thing just had a life of its own. And... Um, yeah, the the rest is history, I guess, and we'll probably come on to it later, but there was a, one episode which had some controversial comments mm. by uh, a guy called Tim Smith, who is the founder of the Eden Project, and that suddenly made national newspaper headlines, and that got a much, the podcasting got a much bigger following because of that, and people started tuning in. And The main thing I was struck by was it, the, the majority of the audience were young people from Cornwall who were listening to it and engaging with these problems, and it felt like no one had really tapped into this topic yet and then now fast forward to me being here which is I'm very delighted that it seems to be relatable elsewhere and it's not just Cornish stuff that I'm banging on about <laughs> and these issues seem to be everywhere which is you know why we've been paired up because there's a lot of crossovers and similarities um, yeah so I'm very happy to be here thanks for having me I want to know Alistair Satchel when and why did you make what we do in the winter um, well, thank you for asking. Um, so, what we do in the winter, I must apologise for calling it the reasons why it's reason why I'm put into the plural rather than the single, I do apologise. Um, what we do in the winter came from a number of, of different sources. Um, I was on tour as an actor uh, on Easdale one time, and I was uh, everyone. I didn't, I'm not really much of a drinker, and everyone had gone to the pub, and I thought I don't really want to go to the pub. I'll just stay in this house that was really interesting and had loads of interesting books. And on the on one of the shelves there was a book called The Voice of the Bard by Timothy Neat, and I thought that, that sounds interesting. And I spent the evening reading this beautiful book, The Voice of the Bard, and it was testimonies of. Bard, you know, the local bards, bard, um, bards of the communities, and people who would story storytellers within their communities. And I thought this is just fantastic. And that percolated away at the back of my brain for for quite a while. Mm, that would be really interesting. I've got other books by Timothy Neat, including um, a, a book about here on the islands as well, and another one uh, with local voices in it as well. Well, that's really good. Anyway, I, I started to hear working around the island, um, hearing loads of really interesting tales from people about funny things from the past and ways of seeing things that were that were starting to disappear if they weren't talked about. And I thought, that's really interesting. I think we need to try and capture something at this moment in time before it kind of disappears. And then there was one day someone was, I was talking to someone uh, who'd been working in the Pier Cafe or Cafe Fish or something like that. And they were describing how a tourist had said to them, so um, when the last tourist goes home, do you all go back to Oban? <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 no. And so that's, that's the point where I thought, okay, I need to do something to document, document these voices. And the first person uh, I chose to speak to was the incredible Duncan McGilp, who was the most remarkable of men, who just had a, an exceptional experience of life um, and was very, knew so much of the rootedness of this culture. Um, and, and, and it's not, I knew the island, I knew the communities, and then I thought, that's really great. So I got an interview with him, and then I thought, right, it can't just be about this notional local thing. It has to be broader than that, because local is a really, really problematic term. What is a, what is a local? Um, so I wanted to look at who are we now at this moment in time. And so um, I kind of went through um, lots and lots of, of, of different voices of finding who we are at this moment in time. I think it started in, was it 2017 or 2018? 2018, thank you, darling. Um, <laughs> George's <laughs> Agile. Um, and... Uh, 
and it's been going ever since then. And I think one of the things that I wanted to, a quote that um, I wanted to, to, to reference um, is, again, it was what you were saying there about um, ways of ways of seeing like John Berger, like, but actually, like, how do we see her things? And there's a great quote you've got, and I think the second last or third last episode of the reason why we're an artist um, talk about the artist Jean Miro and their perspective. What's Jean Miro's quote, if you, if you remember? He said, "To be truly universal, you have to be truly local." And that was used a lot by Knee High Theatre, and who I talk about, who from Cornwall, and they they saw themselves as a very local company, but they also could go out and yeah, play to people anywhere in the world, and that connection, yeah. Which I and I love this quote you're about to share. So this, yeah, this is a quote from um, the book *The Living Mountain* by Nan Shepherd. And uh, when lockdown fell, I, I started to read *Living Mountain*. I thought I need to just read something just in nature, just kind of just that's not <laughs> little humans as possible. And the edition I got had an introduction by the amazing nature writer Robert McFarlane. And he says in the Shepherd, uh, in Nan Shepherd's book, the, the Living Mountain, the quote, uh, the start of it, he quotes Patrick Kavanagh, the Irish poet who influenced Seamus Heaney a lot. And he says, um, Kavanagh says, I see the parish not as a perimeter, but as an aperture, a space through which the world could be seen. All great civilizations are based on parochialism. To know fully even one field or one land is a lifetime's experience. In the world of poetic experience, it is depth that counts, not width. A gap in a hedge, a smooth rock surfacing a narrow lane, a view of a woody meadow, the stream at the junction of four small fields. These are as much as a man can fully experience. And I just thought, yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 that's kind of, that's it. It's, you know, dig, dig where you stand is the other one as well, um, is the, kind of, the classic Tobin and Dolchish and um, Hamish Henderson kind of thing of dig where you stand as well. So. Mm. Yeah. I guess I wonder if we should talk about the differences and the similarities Ooh, between totally, what, yeah. what we've done because I guess I have listened to your podcast and um, you your structure is talking to one person yeah. it, or do you ever do groups? I do do, I do do groups occasionally Yeah, uh-huh. and I, I think I want to do more of that because it opens up it frees me from the narrative yeah. which I really like I don't like being too heavy in the narrative of the episodes um, and it also allows that cross-pollinization of oh do you remember that oh I remember that and that yes. building of that, which yeah. is just lovely yeah, on the flip side, you get people talking over each other all the time. That's yeah. <laughs> I tried to record a few couples, and it was just impossible. They just <laughs> just constantly over the top of each other, like not listening. Um, so yours is obviously most of the time one person, so it's one to one, and it's like a deep conversation. Yeah, uh, that's how I found it. Whereas mine is much more journalistic, I suppose, in terms of I pick a topic, and then I find I went back and I would find four or five people that spoke about that topic and try and sh- show different sides of the argument which was always really fun and quite challenging for me I guess to 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 work with the recordings of people talking about stuff which I didn't necessarily agree with mm. and I had to be the sort of the nuanced knight and go in and try and hear both sides and yeah of the coin it's interesting yeah I, I'm I'm, I'm quite ruthless in my editing sometimes <laughs> if something comes up that I know is going to cause problems we were talking yesterday about the notion of gossip you know what is the what is, what is gossip and how you know how have these things had a, an impact on people's lives and gossip I could tell you some things but I'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, it, you've got to decide especially with the so the nature of what we do in the winter is that literally one to one I put on my head noise cancelling headphones switch the noise cancelling on and just basically <laughs> sit and, and stare at them and, and no other point in life really are you given that that experience of being listened to so deeply and 
um, it's a really, really personal thing. I feel a really strong personal connection with each of my victims. I think, <laughs> um, I think it's really, it's really special. Mm. Um, it's really, it's a really lovely, lovely thing because you don't get a chance to share that with with the many people. And it's yeah, it's to to hear voices that are unbroken. But you've got to be sensitive with this. You can't put out something that you know would damage that person's reality or that person how that person's perceived in a way and it's like you've got to be as fair as possible within I find within things and so there's some yeah some extraordinary stories that that are not are not are not for sharing which is really important and that also takes in the, uh, into the question what we were talking about earlier on of um who has the right to these stories as well so there's some certain people have been approached to speak to in the community again and again I'm desperate to speak to them but there's one person in particular would, would say oh no these are these are these are my stories I don't really know if they're for they're not I'm not sure who would listen to them and how they would listen to them and I think that's really important because it's that's reality of it it's not a, it's not a forced and now my great story is this it's it's the truth of it you're you're, you're finding sincere expression and I think that's really really important that mm. you just have to respect some people just as wonderful as it would be to speak to them that's fine mm. yeah, so. and I guess from my angle I put myself as a character within it mm. so it's a confused young country bumpkin that's trying to figure out all these conflicting feelings and that was quite nice to I mean I was always aware that it was an exaggerated version of myself and um and, you know, I would play with, I would warp time and I would record myself talking about saying, I'd say it was two years ago at the beginning of the journey and I was all distressed and trying to figure stuff out. But actually, I recorded it the day before. And, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, it, there was a bit of a theatrical nature to it or dramatisation yeah. nature to it. But putting myself in there as a confused person was handy to navigate that stuff. What was weird then is people would come up to me and I wanted to talk to you Alistair about this the impact of once you've made this pro this project and you've put it out into the world but also into quite a small community where lots of people know each other which is the brilliant thing about a tight-knit community mm. there of course you know we were talking about gossip and how that often is a negative word but also I go around with my mum and we'll sit and we'll gossip and that gossip isn't necessarily negative it's about so and so did he hear so and so passed away last week mm. and they've gone into a home and you go oh, well I should give them a ring and I should look out for that person and there's a thing about communities where knowing you know you don't want to know people's business too much but no. knowing some people some of people's business can be constructive and helpful and positive to that's what brings you together and then what I found was that people would come up to me because they'd listen to me in their headphones, in their ears, for ten weeks. They'd come up to me like I'm their best friend, and I've got no knowledge of who they are. And they'd come up and go, oh, how's your dad? Yeah, did you find that house? Did you buy that house in the end? How's, how's that all going? And then I'd go, I'm really sorry, I don't know you. And then they'd go, oh, yeah, I've never met you, have I? <laughs> but, but they've had me whispering away in their ears, and so I wondered what, how you've felt that, because, I mean, even more acutely, because you're on an island and... Mm -hmm with less people than Cornwall, you know. It's um it's always lovely to, to hear from people when when they've listened to the work. I think that's really it's I, I do genuinely love that because the nature of the podcasting environment the listenership, it tends not to be a public thing. So music is, you get together in a room like this and you listen to music together and it's a shared experience, which is lovely. But the listenership of a podcast thing tends to be somewhat more intimate. You'll be on you know, your, your AirPods and your ear, or you'll be... So I do listener surveys every now and again to find out how people engage with it so I can build a picture of what's going on in my head. There are people that listen in the bath or listen at bedtime, and it's, that's a really intimate role. 
Um, and so you've got to kind of be respectful of that as well. And yeah, so you know, I think it's because you've got such a lovely voice. Well, I think that's very relaxing. Very asleep at the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's always lovely to, to hear from people. And uh, it's, sometimes I'm, I'm quite shy, um, really. And I know that the, when I was doing a show years ago. So I got recognised in, in the street in, in Edinburgh during the Fringe and I got properly frightened because, oh my God, someone has seen the show. Um, and the person who I got to know later on came up to me after and said, you were so rude. It was like, I wasn't rude, I was terrified. I just ran away. Um, and so, yeah, uh, but it's always nice to, 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 to hear. And also, when people talk to you, they actually start to talk to you in quite an intimate register, as yeah. you found, which is which is really special. It's really nice. Have you had people come up to you and want to talk about the topics raised within your podcast? Not so much. Okay. No, it tends to be more, um, oh, I heard this, I heard that. And then they'll maybe talk about other wee stories connected to things like that, but not so much about, um, obviously, housing is a, such a massive thing that comes up in all of them and the, 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 that's you know, underpinning all of this. And Because this is one of the things, as well as the the, the act of podcasting in, in this way and, and talk, speaking to people, it's a political act. And it's it's an expressly political act, whether you know it's to, to allow people to explore these things. So it's it's interesting to see how people do engage with that, and they haven't so much gone kind of sharp into kind of the issues stuff uh, as of yet. But I mean, there are the other thing is that so you've got ten wonderfully tight episodes, and I love and you're talking about the, the characterization of yourself. I love the ending of episode uh, eight. I think it is when you encounter Cornwall. That's the end of ten. Yeah. Is that the end of yeah. ten? Yeah, right, very final, yeah, oh, yeah. So it was twelve then with the, the other two. Yes, yeah. yeah. So the, the end of ten when you encounter Colonel through the wind. I just love that because yeah. it's beautiful and it, of course there's, you know, the, 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 there's no set answer. Yeah. Because not to give the ending away, sorry, but um, the, if you give an answer in any of this kind of work, it's going to date so quickly. Anything that seems like a certainty will be gone. And it's, it's the thing of optics, basically. If you shine a torch, if that's if that's what you think it is at the, at the moment, if you shine a torch, you're going to get a square in the wall. As time moves on and the torch moves around, you're going to actually see it's a triangle and a circle from another angle. So how do you know? Absolute facts are are really subjective and time locked as well. Yeah, I guess we should give some context. Basically, I, I exactly that. I always had to ask questions, and my producer Paul would say, "Well, just." You're not trying to answer anything. You're just trying to ask stuff because that's what triggers people to go off and think about that topic for the rest of the week. And and um, when and I was getting quite stressed out about getting to the last episode mm. and feeling like I'd opened up all these cans of worms and I had to wrap it all up and sort of there we go. That's here we are. We've got to the end and this is the findings. And and I was stressing out. And then I thought I'm just going to be really cheeky and take a massive liberty. And I'm going to because it was all very kind of documentary style. And I'm just going to. Um, make it like a sort of slightly naff Radio 4 mm. afternoon drama and I'm going to go pretend I'm going for a walk up the hill in Cornwall and then the, the spirit of Cornwall will talk to me from the sky and it very much sort of, you know, like Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol sort of, I get visited by a, by a visitation and and, and it, that spirit just tells me I was very conscious I wanted it to be a female voice yeah. that was the main thing, the spirit of Cornwall had to be a, a female voice and she told me don't worry about it, it's all cool, time passes, generations will come, traditions come, things go, blah, 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 just have a nice time and it'll yeah. be cool. <laughs> and that was, and so one woman came up to me at my live show actually and said, I hated the ending, what a cop out, you know, I needed answers, you know, but um, I said, well, that's, that's you and maybe that says more about you than me actually, you know, but I was quite happy to let it go, ah, just in a sort of hippy dippy, let's just leave it. And, 
And I do say this to people. I do. I have come out the end of this whole project because I. I think this is the difference between you and I. You're you're ongoing. You know, mm. you're like this sort of archivist, sort of plugging away, and it could be never ending. Your project, whereas mine, I always saw it as like a. It's ten episodes, and then I need to move on and look at different topics. But I. Uh, I do feel like I came out in ultimately with really nice arts council funded therapy for myself <laughs> and, and I feel much calmer about what's well, funding <laughs> I don't know that word I mean when I say funding I just paid everybody else and not myself really but um, this is classic yeah mm. but uh, yeah I, I do feel much calmer because it helped me look at both sides of the argument and, yeah I think one of the things with the volume of work of what we do in the winter is that there's 72 episodes and most of them are at least an hour long so that's <laughs> how many solid days of listening is that mm. so there's so much there's such a wall of it all it's it's difficult for people to to kind of get their heads around all of it as well because when you go into it you kind of go ah yeah and, and then you, sometimes you forget things and you, it's difficult it's um yeah it's it's just a, a huge a huge ongoing thing mm. <laughs> it's just, yeah kind of mad yeah Nina yes <laughs> what topic haven't we covered yet? Yes. I was thinking about the specifics of podcasting or audio only and what you thought that opened up for people. Um, we talked a, bit, a little bit yesterday about the difference between that and filming, potentially, um, or the intimacy of it. Intimacy is the key, I think, really. Mm. It's a very personal... Um, can I ask, um, hands up if you listen to podcasts, not if you listen to either of ours, but hands up if you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Great. And can I ask, um, hands up if you listen to them uh, with headphones on. Very nice. Can I ask um, if you listen to them on a speaker? Yeah. And can I ask um, if you listen to them with other people? Now that's interesting, isn't it? So there are no yeah. hands up in the room. Well, Georgia and I, we listen to, to various different things, yeah. A random movie generator, excellent. Oh, yeah, and Will and Jenny as well, yep, fantastic, yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it tends to be a couple's thing, you over breakfast or cooking dinner or, or yeah. So that is, it's, a, it's an intimate art form. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think that's the thing about radio that, it's a form of radio, it's, it, it's a form of localised selective radio. And, we were talking earlier on about different things that have inspired us, you know, what what the inspirations for things are. One of the things that's really inspired me in terms of the, the form is Desert Island Discs. Yeah, who heard um, Adrian, um, not Adrian Lester, what do you call him? Edmondson. Adrian Edmondson's Desert Island Discs the other day. Who was moved by that? Massively. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. And it's such an intimate, personal thing. Um, I, I, I love that. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's... What podcasting in these forms allows you to do is to to find something that you're interested in and dive down into that. Mm. So yesterday I was listening to a podcast on Slavic folk traditions, and then I was listening to a podcast about James Bond, and, and, and <laughs> just because, yeah. um, and I love that. And so again, building on from that, then what maybe are your inspirations from your? Where does your your work take its inspiration from? What are the many inspirations? I I like to see each project it can. It, f- and it's quite hard to package sometimes and my producer gets quite annoyed at me because I change medium for the d- differing projects. So um, the next, you know, we, the next thing will be a project with a male voice choir and it's going to be an opera and, and that, and I might not even be in it, but I want to write the songs. And so that's, I get to the project and go, what's the best medium to explore this topic in? And this, when I came, when I decided to look into Cornish tensions or whatever you want to call it, I thought, right, a podcast it's great, exactly for these reasons, because we can have it in an intimate experience. 
But for this, because I knew I wanted to be journalistic, I, I'm obsessed with Lou Theroux, especially his <laughs> older work. And then I was listening to a lot of um, Radio Lab, which is very kind of American, and, and they sort of they've got this kind of fake, <laughs> casual way of talking, where it's clearly planned and quite scripted, but they say they talk in a really casual way, as if so. Sheamus. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, here's the story, and it's yeah. you know, uh, but also John Ronson's uh, when <sighs> things fell apart, and he's sort of going back and looking, and um, the thing that also I got really excited about was this, the, the scoring and putting music under stuff, mm. and the scripting I struggled with personally, and I, I, I'm. As all my friends and family will know, I'm very notorious for getting phrases wrong. And so my edit, Paul, the producer, would go through and go, OK, so um, you've said the, the shit hit the pan here. And, and I'd go, oh, is that not the expression? And then, so there was a lot of, um, a lot of that. Um, and the scoring, that was the, the thing I found the funnest. Um, and it's funny, actually, on the topic of that, when, so when I did the interview with Tim Smith, who's from the Eden Project, and he said these remarks that got picked up by the press, I do think it was... I was slightly to blame in the fact that I went back, I found this clip, and it's quite explosive. He come, Out of nowhere, he gets really angry, and he says this stuff off the cuff, which some people agreed with, some people didn't. And But I did put a little bit of foreboding, pulsing music underneath. <laughs> uh, a bit of a semitone. like, And uh, and when that when that got sampled on the, t- the World at One on Radio 4, it did sound much worse than the original file. <laughs> because of my music. Context, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, but I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I love what, about, what about you for, for references? and Well... Apart from Desert Island Discs. Yeah, um, I'm very much influenced. Ever since I was a teenager, there's a, a guy called Adam Buck. I don't know if many of you know him at all, but uh, Adam Buxton's been a huge hero of mine ever since I was a, a teenager. He did something called Takeover TV going way back, which was brilliant. You know, you'd, at the end of the, it was quite late on at night. It was Channel Four when it was, again, the voice of the people through Channel Four was fantastic, um, and it was you'd submit films and and they would get shown on there. And Adam Buxton and his friend Joe Cornish eventually were making these films in there, and they, they became kind of the dominant strand that ran through it all. And there was a really handmade aesthetic that I just thought was fantastic, and they were able to do stop motion animation with simple things and all that. I thought, well I could borrow a camera I could do that and so that's that's what I started doing when I was a teenager with borrowing and nicking video cameras from friends and, and you know sitting up late at night with a personal stereo and two VHS decks and back and forth and it was it was just great fun um, and then um, I noticed that he he had a fantastic radio show on Radio 6 with Joe at the Adam and Joe radio show, which is just wonderful. And my son, uh, Cole, and George and I listen to it in the car quite regularly when we're going on long journeys. It's perfect because it's so silly and wonderful and songs, daft songs. It's just a wonderful world. Anyway, um, Grant McKinnon, uh, the electrician, was working in the place we were staying one time and he mentioned this thing called Hardcore History. I thought, what's that? He thought it was a really in-depth history podcast. I thought, I thought podcasts were done with. I thought that was a thing in the 90s or you know, sort of the early 2000s from Radio 6 or whatever. But I thought, OK, I'll give it a listen. And while we were painting our house when it was built, I listened to a thing called Blueprint for Destruction, which was um, the history of the First World War, told in this exceptional way by this American journalist. I thought, this is brilliant. And then I thought, oh, find more podcasts. And lo and behold, Adam Buxton had one. I thought, oh, that's really nice. I've always enjoyed it. And so I started listening to his work, and it was brilliant. That intimacy that he brings, there's very... Uh, there's very little pretense. He always plays um, kind of a lower, uh, the, the lower card in, a, in yeah. a social situation, which allows people to kind of stand up and, and balance. And he finds all sorts of lovely ways of working. And I found his work just 
really, really nice. And so he's done lots of funny interviews. But then he'll do, you know, an interview with um, what do you call him, Adam, uh, the, the 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 filmmaker that did all those fantastic long form documentaries. Oh, um, yeah, Adam um and Brian Eno and people like this mm-hmm. and get dead dead seas. Laurie Anderson, one of my all time heroes as well. And it's like that's great. So I thought, well, maybe something like that could be Curtis, could be, Adam, Adam Curtis. Thank you. Um, <laughs> something like that could could be good. Um, so yeah, and and Parkinson. That was another thing as okay, well, because yeah, yeah. I find myself watching on YouTube clips of Peter Ustinov and Parkinson or Kenneth Williams and Parkinson talking, and you'd have you know you'd have um, George and I have talked about this often, but you'd have Diana Dors, Desmond Morris, and you know Kenneth Williams and and, and Parkinson all, all together, and it turns out Diana Dors and Desmond Morris had been were they engaged years before and or something ridiculous, and it, it, and it was a time when people didn't have to sell something on a chat show. And they were just there for the quality of the chat, and just ah, it was so beautiful. So that's that's what really interests me is just no agenda, just mm. that human experience. So when you're doing that, when you've got your person in front of you, what? How do you see your role in terms of? And do you think you've got better at it o- over time? Uh, you've I, learned. I, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, yes, I think so. I think I've been. Yeah, I've, I've learned not to, <laughs> to talk over people. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, so my role is is the listener. I am the listener, um, so I try and imagine that I'm that person in the bath, or I'm that person, whatever, and um, that I'm trying to think what would they want to know next. And also, it's members of the family, I try and imagine that I'm a member of sometimes the family as well, who have specific questions I want to ask, like, okay, what would that family member want to know? Um, how how can we give a bit more flavour about that member of the family who they've maybe mentioned not so many more times? And um, and I know at Georgia, my wife, it's frustrated her occasionally because sometimes she's going, you should be asking this, you should be asking that. And it's like, whoops. <laughs> but the moment's gone and it just has to be those moments. And some people are willing to talk again as well because so many people when I've spoken to them have come... Their, their partner or their, 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 their whoever is with them say, oh, they had so much more to say on this or that. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you want to pick up on some of the themes that I would say are common to the podcast, because I guess one of the reasons that Rona originally pointed me to yours is that she was sort of saying, you know, in a way, Cornwall is possibly an example of where Mull could be further down the line in terms of relation to tourism, but also she thinks a lot about um, Gaelic and, you know, spoken language, and, and, and you talk about that in relation to Cornish in the in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. There is an amazing amount of crossovers uh, between Cornwall and... Oh, and obviously the, it, the Celtic sweep, right, and historically <laughs> and, and now contem- in contemporary world of industry and tourism and whatever and the tensions and um yeah there's lots of things to say on that i mean i I should also should explain that i'm off the back of the podcast i made a live show help i think of a nationalist which is what i'm performing for the next three nights here and on iona and our intention there was to make something which was hyper local and super niche to cornwall and so there's a whole rant at the end where i get angry and and i get really ridiculously angry about very small things which are just tiny trivial things and the idea was always to make a show which would work in Madron Village Hall in Penwith near Land's End and would also work at the Edinburgh Fringe and that was our challenge and we thought yeah 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 and then we got terrified after we'd done it for about six months in Cornwall and we'd done it so many times and it had gone really well have we just made a show for Cornwall (coughs) 
and then we took it outside to Bristol and people came up and said, no, 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 this is about everywhere. You just take mm. out the word Cornwall. Yeah. And, and a Polish friend of ours came up and in Bristol and said, I've never been to Cornwall, but I, un I understand it completely. Just put the word Poland in instead of Cornwall. And I, it, this is the story of my childhood, you know. So that was a huge relief. Um, so there's lots of things to say on that in terms of... Uh, Cornwall, I think, looks to Ireland, Wales and Scotland as the thing they... Well, when I say Cornwall, obviously we're making massive generalised sweeping statements, which is a dangerous thing to do from the start. But there are people who are... Um, feel strongly in terms of Cornwall being a separate nation, have, there's a rich history there to prove it, and um, I guess they would identify as Cornish nationalists, and they believe they look at Corn um, Ireland, Scotland and Wales as this thing they want to be, they long to be that. And Loveday Jenkin from Mebby and Kerno, which is, I guess, the Cornish equivalent of the SNP in Cornwall, um, said she saw Cornwall 20 years behind Wales and 40 years behind Scotland. And I personally think that's an amazingly positive, ambitious kind of feeling. For example, I think Cornwall looks at Scotland and want and goes, well, they've got kilts. We need kilts as well, guys. Come on. If we're going to be taken seriously. So the tartan was invented in 1963. Um, there's the big song that we actually play in the show, right at the beginning of the show, Cornwall My Home by Harry Glasson is 10 years old and it's this kind of unofficial anthem that people have all... We, and I, I have really mixed feelings about it. But by the end of the night, when, when, once everyone's had a few to drink, we're all arm in arm swaying, singing this song and slurring the lyrics. And uh, it sounds just like, for these are my mountains. And it's like, it's such a little rip off. I'm going like, to, if I can be honest, I think it's a rip. So there's a lot of that. And, and then the language, of course. And so I think Cornwall had a language. Lots of people argue that it didn't die out, that it just went to its deathbed and then it's been resurrected. Mm. And there's, a, there's been a massive movement in the past 50 years, but even in the past five years since I've been looking at this stuff, there's been a real strong resurgence with people like Gweno, the Welsh pop singer, making very cool um, contemporary albums. And her, last year her album got nominated for a Mercury Prize and that, apart from one song, was all in the Cornish language, Canoe. So... There's, there's things that's making that happen. And then, of course, there's just wonderful parallels. And, and so I think a lot of people in Cornwall look to Scotland and go, well, look, see, they've got Gaelic, right? This is, that's where we should be at. And everyone should be learning instruments in the, in the school. And so there's a, there's a lot of longing. Mm. But then I also come here and, I, and then I hear so many nuanced, interesting conversations about the pros and cons of all that stuff here, which is, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> I think one of the things that resonates so strongly for me from Cornish culture is the work of Mark Jenkin. Yeah. We were talking about this earlier on as well, and, and Mark Jenkin made a fantastic film called Bait, which if, if you've never seen it, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It's an absolute masterpiece. He films on 16mm, I think mm. it is, and these are these little noisy little cameras, which I'm sure many of you remember from, from your own past. And he develops the film himself, and so whatever's in the atmosphere at the time ends up on the film. So there's little particles of sweater or pollen that are in there and that make all these lovely sparking moments. So there's this kind of really chaotic uh, aesthetic to it. And he's also shot it in beautifully, like a lot of it's close up in a really kind of early cinema way, like Carl Dreyer and The Trial of Joan of Arc, which is for me one of my favourite things. Mm. Um, and so it's got this kind of real intimacy to it. But that film... And post-sync sound, which I think is a massive part of it, yeah. Much closer to the microphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he chooses this really, really, you know, so it's, re yeah, it's really, really kind of strong yeah. aesthetic. So it's like a silent movie and someone's d 
dubbed the, lyri- the, the words on much later quite badly. And I think he sometimes gets a bit upset because he's trying his best with the, yeah. <laughs> trying to sync the sound. It's always a little bit clunky. But also the film is not uniform. It is a, a, it's a wibbly-wobbly thing that he's working with, as well, which is the beauty of it as well. But that film has been seen all over the world. and it, it, like, The first time I saw it was in Dunoon Film Festival and I got so excited. It's like, oh my God. So I went out and phoned Gordy Turnbull the minute I got to the cinema. I went, Gordy, who's a local oyster farmer, and I said, Gordy, 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 have you seen this? Oh, you need to see it. And then when it came out on Blu-ray, we had uh, Gordy's family around who were all fisher pe- people involved in fishing and other friends to watch this film to see uh, how does this... Re- and it resonates so strongly mm. with so many concerns that the, the, the housing is, you know, kind of the vital thing in it so much, but also the question of identity. What is this identity that's being explored? And what's the reality of the, the nostalgic filter mm. that's placed over things? And this is... So a lot of my work is about what I call addressing the balance of stories. And I must say, sorry, George, I made you sound like a, a rotter in the last one by saying... <laughs> I do apologise, sorry, about saying about the, um, uh, pulling all the threads of the story. I do apologise. But um, the, the balance of stories is... What's really important to me is that every day... On this island, there are 2,826 inhabitants who live here, or just under 3,000. But every day in the summer, that many visitors, if not more, pour onto our shores. And everyone has a story to tell. It's vital that we all have our stories to tell. They have to be respected because we are all individuals. Uh, we, all, we all have our own voice, and that's really, really important. But when... A city like London has, what is it, 9 million or something like that people in there? So there's a huge amount of people there. They're never going to be outnumbered by the, the tourist voice coming in. That narrative is never going to be in favour of the, the, the tourist voice defining what that is. Whereas in our communities, we're going to be outnumbered more than likely by the, the voice of the tourists as they come in. And so that work, the work that we both do, I think, is about redressing the balance, how to amplify a voice. Now, I'm not going to use the word local because that's so problematic. But how do you amplify an authentic voice of those communities at that time? And that's that's what we're trying to both trying to do, I think. Mm. I agree. What was the thing you told me about the Facebook page yesterday? <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's a <laughs> maybe we should move on actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, it's really interesting. The, the Facebook is social media is also about stories. And it's how you present yourself and how you want to see yourself presented. And I try and just be myself on social media. It's really important. I say to my son as well, you know, with things, try and just be yourself. Don't pretend to be something else because it's it just, where there's, where there's that level, lack of truth, there's just nothing to connect with. Mm. So um, a lot of times <laughs> there's the everything mull, I think it was. There, there's always someone, well, I had a lovely time and I spent lots of money here. They can have their, their Cornish language festival and, and spend loads of money on beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of idea. But I spent lots of money, but I had a terrible time because someone was behind me all the way on the signal track road and they just kept flashing and honking. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. Um, and these Facebook pages have thousands and thousands of more people that, that are here. Yeah, what's the one that oh, I love Mull? Is that passionate it? about Mull. Wow, okay. Has 9,000, 10,000 people on it. Three times the population of our island. And it's like, our islands, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness. And everyone's there, oh yes, I've been coming to Mull since I was 12, to, and it's just, it's just, mm. and a lot of the time it's, it's really nice because they're, they're saying, this, this means something to me, I want my voice heard in this. But actually it renders so much of what's here as into the register of holiday 
and the register of nostalgia, immediate nostalgia. And it means that we are seen through a kind of rubbish lens. And Somerset, I know with your dogs, like, so as a farmer, one of the things that's most important to you with your dogs is that they are real, they're people-friendly dogs as well. So when tourists engage with you and your dogs, they're not going to be scared off by, oh, I met the farmer, oh. It's, it's about, I met a real person, I met a real person with real dogs, and really, and Nigel's obviously one of the loveliest dogs around, but yeah, it's, it's so... It's so important to be sincere in these And in Cornwall, so I went home last night and thought, we have the same, the same thing. There's a Facebook page called, I think it's called Follow Your Dreams to Cornwall. And the, the tagline is, and you have, to, you have to apply to, you know, you have to sort of um, ask to be in the group because they know that people are going to infiltrate it and tell, you, tell everyone to go away. But um, it's people saying, you know, even if you're going to move there or you dream, we're all supporting each other. One day we will all move to Cornwall. And then there's another group called Stop the Destruction of Cornwall. <laughs> which is local people being outraged and petitions and, and lots of activism around trying to protect new housing developments yeah. so that aren't affordable for local people or whatever, you know. Yeah. So that I just love that those two things going side by side. And then this comes into the thing that I... So I made one episode about uh, nationalism and I went to interview Cornish nationalists and I'll be completely honest, I was nervous to meet these people... Yeah there's a lot of words and a lot of baggage and connotations that are associated with that word. And then I found these lefty, liberal, progressive, open-minded people that completely aligned with my values, and I was really confused. And yeah. thought, so what's going on? Maybe there's more than one meaning to this word, or maybe there's many words. Maybe we should stop using this one word, yeah. which is what then led on to me making this show about the pros and cons. And the thing I often get personally very conflicted about is... When does something become demonstrative and and not fully authentic? And mm. I ham up my Cornish accent when there are people clearly on holiday in Cornwall down, and they're all parking stupidly or they're asking for directions. And I will play this role of a more of a local person because I and I want to feel prove to them something that I am from I am of this place or whatever that is. And then there, then I catch myself, and we were having a great chat about this. About and I say in the show, I try and sum it all by sum it up all by bumper stickers. And during lockdown, I found myself driving around. And when the roads, when the people were allowed to come to Cornwall, there was you know, and it, it was coming from a genuine place. Often this fear of people coming in from the outside and bringing COVID or bringing more tension. And I found myself driving along, and when I saw someone that couldn't reverse. <laughs> or couldn't park properly, I'd make an instant snap assumption and I'd look down to see if they had a bumper sticker and then I'd see they had a Cornish bumper sticker and I'd go, oh no, they're okay, they can be here. <laughs> and actually my problem is with people that aren't very good at reversing, that's mm. it, it's not, yeah, yeah. and those people exist everywhere and I had to really, and I just started to catch myself with these little tiny things that can lead, and we talk about, I've talked about this a lot with make, making the show about there's a sliding scale, I think, I think there's a sliding scale of nationalism and the sense of belonging, and at one end you've got, I don't know, someone really positive, or, or for example, just for, for us, we've got us sort of chatting away and being all friendly, and at the other side you've got Hitler, and we're all on that scale, and we move up and down depending on... The Overton window. Uh, yeah? The Overton window. What's that? So the Overton window is a, a window of discourse, what's acceptable to talk about, what are the parameters of a framework of what's acceptable to talk about. Uh -huh. And so um, the Overton window is this thing that happens like after the, up to and into the Brexit referendum, suddenly it snapped really far, doosh, to the right, and suddenly GB news happens yeah. and seems acceptable to some people. <laughs> 
that, all that, that's, that's what it is, this window of consensus of yes. discussion. And yeah. again, so yeah, this, these, are, these are political acts. This yeah. Is, yeah. And, then, and then, I hope you don't mind me sharing the story, Nina. We are in your car yesterday, and on the back, your kids drew a sign saying, we live in Mull. <laughs> Uh, which I, I can absolutely understand why you would feel that need, but I also thought, how sad there's that need to... We have to prove... It's because your car looks a bit like a camper van. So people are making snap decisions and then whatever, honking you or whatever, or they're getting angsty with you on the, you know, on the, on the roads. And, and that's so funny, that's how it plays... So much of this tension plays out on the roads and in the lane yes. bikes, I think. <laughs> and being Scots... When I t when, so I have a letter from someone who uh, I was trying to it's really so this, is, this is a bit of a brutal story if that's okay to have this uh, I think I've never told it in public before I think I'm going to tell it if that's right um, I was running a bit late at an appointment at the, doc the doctors I was really keen to get there quite quickly and see what was going on and uh, there was a car in front of me for about a mile and a half that just would not pull in they were just oh, and I was getting so frustrated and so angry Anyway, I thought I'd just keep trying to keep it calm, and eventually they did pull in for me, and they looked absolutely furious and indignant. And I reversed back at speed because I was in a hurry. I went down my window and said, "Thank you so much for for pulling in for us. That, I really appreciate that. It's really kind of you." Being Scots, <laughs> that sounds quite brutal, um, as well. And I think you know maybe my concept of what you know being polite is up to the limit of that is politeness, but no swearing. Um, and anyway, I said, you know, have a really nice time and really, you know, enjoy, enjoy yourself. I would recommend going to Loch Bui. Go to the fantastic <laughs> cafe down there. Enjoy yourself. Bye-bye. See you back. <laughs> Off I went. Anyway, two weeks later, a letter from Vic and Sandra, whoever they were, appears. We have never in our life been spoken to in such a manner. And they defined how long they'd been coming to Mull for. And how much they, you know, how much it meant to them. And you don't know what's going on through people's lives. How dare you talk to someone like that? It's your over sense of privilege. And I, I was like, I was going to go and see if I had testicular cancer. Mm. You know, that's, think about the other side of that. Thankfully, I don't and didn't. But it's like the other side of that coin is like, try and see what you're mirroring. Mm. And so that's, you know, it's really... I wonder, how did they get your address? I don't know. I think he must have been a policeman. <laughs> it's got, I had my middle name on it and everything. Yeah. <laughs> middle name as well, yeah. So it's like, it's so it's really weird. And that, because I'd, I'd attacked their sense of mull. Oh, this is mull. And I looked him up and I noticed he was part of a, you know, very interesting folk group. He did love, lots of lovely things. They were both retired now, good on them. And, uh, and she wrote plays about fairies and things like that. And it's like, well, that's really great. I'm really pleased for you that you do that. But don't render me into your fantasy narrative. Can I ask a question? Who here, the, the stuff I've been talking about, Cornwall and the similarities, and in terms of the the, the national, the, the the story of the nation, and did, who, how, how many people know about that? In terms of that's Cornwall, Cornwall's history. Okay, not many. That, but yeah. Only since Okay, but you didn't. Yeah, that's not a thing that you knew of. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I assumed that. Yeah, yeah. Because doing this show in Cornwall is quite interesting because a lot of people. They know this stuff, and it's just being reaffirmed. Whereas when we take it out of school, it becomes a sort of educational history lesson, and mm. people come up and uh, they say, "Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm in. I'm, I'm on board." And I go, "No, no, no. I wasn't get asking you to be on board with me. Like, I'm trying to show there's a bit of there's a, it can be, you know, tricky going either way." And, yeah. Great. So we now have a mic functioning microphone. Would anyone like to kick off with a question? Thanks, guys, for being here and uh, sharing really interesting discussion. 
I'm troubled. Uh, I, I'm finding it, some of it a little bit difficult. Question that I normally, well, I've asked to a number of people is this. Can you name me a time when nationalism has been a force for good? Yeah, definitely. That's interesting, because I can name a gazillion where it's a real force for bad. And then the other issue is that I'm hearing a lot of stuff that in places would say it's kind of about them and us. Are you with me? There's a lot of others, you know, and I'm interested in your Cornwall voices, how many of them are newer Cornwall voices or older, because there's a lot going on there. So a few things there. I'm not sure there's a question, but some interesting thought. I'd be interested in your thoughts. Yeah, very valid concern, yeah. Mr. E. Hitler, please. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Um, I absolutely agree, and and that word was always a negative word for me, and I and I'm still on the fence, and I don't, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't associate myself as a nationalist. Uh, the closest I've come to is calling myself a culturalist, which mm. is what Denzel Monk said, who's the producer of Bait, funnily enough, and he said, I believe that a place has a, different places can be distinct and have their own identity and have their own culture, and and that's brilliant, and it should be championed and celebrated. I personally think. You know, there's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's about insecurity. And I, I have faced, when I was making my project, funnily enough, I went on the Stop the Destruction of Cornwall page and I wrote a post saying, hello, I'm making a project about the problems in Cornwall. Would anyone like to help me? The next day I went on and I'd been barred from the, from the page. And so I went and I wrote somebody who was part of the page and I, I said, what's going on here? I've been kicked out. And he said, we don't want you coming in here and stirring up the shit and we don't trust you and we don't think you're you know, you're going to do us any good. And I was instantly, oh, well, there you go. This is brilliant. It's like the you're not even letting someone that grew up here and is actually yeah. really try trying their hardest to make a valid piece of work. You're not going to let me in, right? So you're so scared. What is going on here? Like, what are you holding on to? And so for me personally, I, you know, the, the most interesting bits of culture I'm a fan of is when two things come together and they meld and they merge and they become something else. Mm. And as someone said to me, I can't remember who it was, it might be Matthew's ear, he said a lot of wise things to me. He's a, a brilliant um, uh, uh, black British theatre director based in London. He said, "Are you when when that's happening? When when culture is being merged together, are you losing something or are you gaining?" And for me, I, I always feel like you're gaining. But of course, there is, you know, I've come to Mull with this naive. <laughs> Uh, preconception. I, I, I'm interested in folk art and folk music, and and I've watched. Um, I know where I'm going several <laughs> times before I knew it was filmed in Mull, and I've come here with this this idea of the romantic notion of Scotland, and uh, uh, I'm going to go to a pub and everyone's wearing knitwear and diddly ding in the corner, and everyone will go quiet, and someone will stand up and sing a song, and we'll all, you know, and that's a Little very cry. like 1940s romanticised version, and and I feel it, and I will be honest, I've come to Tobermory and I don't see that, and I feel a little bit sad, and then I go, was that ever here, or has that been lost? <laughs> And is that okay as well that that's gone? Because pe gen people come and bring new things. and So I think, yeah, I, and I, I find borders very troublesome and I, all of that, I agree. But I do think cultures are distinct. That I think that's, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, you have to be careful. You have to be really careful with how you word things and how you treat people. And 
Yeah, and, and for example, we made a bumper sticker, Cornish flag bumper sticker, and on the white bit it says, everyone is welcome. Mm. And loads of people were really offended by that bumper sticker because they said, I'll happily invite refugees to Cornwall, but I don't want second homeowners and rich wankers coming, right? And I go, yeah, but that, that, that. Mm -hmm. you, That's the dialogue. The, the thing is, we have to let everyone in, and, yeah. and if you treat them with trust, maybe they might give you that back. And that, that's my kind of lefty hope, but I... Who knows whether it will work? <laughs> for, for myself, in terms of, because uh, the word you use is nationalism, it's a very, very difficult and loaded term. It's a really, really problematic word. And in terms of what we have here in Scotland at this moment in time, uh, post the 2014 uh, referendum, it's, it, it's, not, it's not nationalism in the same way as we've seen in other things previously. You talk about it in your podcast fantastically well with your friend who's part of uh, maybe in Colonel mm -hmm. as well. He talks about a civic nationalism. Mm -hmm. For me, I started off as a wee boy in Dunoon on the west coast of Scotland in the Clyde and the Scottish National Party were these men, big fat men with beards and pints and opinions and I wanted nothing to do with them. Nothing at all. That's nothing. I, I grew up with bits of Gaelic, I grew up playing the fiddle at it and I thought this is not right at all. Nationalism for me in this question has nothing at all to do with ethnicity nothing at all to do. What I'm interested in within this stuff is democratic reform. If you look at how places define themselves, that, and for me that was the most beautiful thing of the, the referendum, was that it was not a question of ethnicity, it was a question of the people of Scotland at that moment in time. And that's fantastic. And for me, politics is about dialogue and it's about trust. And trust in politics has been so eroded to such a profound degree, I've pulled back totally from engaging with politics. I don't even listen to Radio 4's news and you know, Radio 3 you have on in the morning because I love Radio 3, but even the, the news is kind of shy away from That's about the only news I'll have in the day because I don't trust anymore. The fundamental unit of trust has been broken, has been soiled for us all, on both sides, all sides of an argument. And we need to find a place where we can find dialogue and back and forth. And unfortunately what happened, and we saw this within the, um, the EU referendum, is that once we come to a place of a, a, a position that we want to hold, we tend to think, oh, well, that's it. And we get to be ev evangelical on it. And that's exactly those characters I met when I was younger with the SNP. Those kind of, well, this is the way, this is the only way. And it's not the only way. It has to be about dialogue. It has to be about listening because we're not one thing. It's exactly the same thing of shining a torch at that object and seeing a square. Actually, you see it and you see a tree. You'll see loads of different other things. So I think um, it's a, these things are absolutely vital. And I love the engagement that we have as communities with it. But I think we have to be respectful of other, other people's perspectives. And we tend not to be, because the, it's tied into our identity, who ourselves are, and that moment of fragility. A lot of this work is about the fragility of individual identity and how you define yourself. So for me, that's tied into it very strongly. What I want to see is discussions. I want to see stepping forwards, and I want to see a more representative form of democracy that re reflects all of our interests in a far stronger way. Ra, ra, ra. <laughs> and I think you've have you appeared on Alistair's podcast I think I thought so <laughs> I was just going to say um, given that the people you interview are the most important part of the podcast um, what kind of feedback have you both um, had from your interviewees and how do you think the interviewees um, what do you think they get out of being interviewed? Mm. That's a really Great interesting question. question. Great, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can answer that, actually. As, uh, sorry, if that's okay to dive in the shoes. Please, go for it. I, 
as a, a former victim of the podcast, um, as one of the interviewees, you've been on twice, actually. You've been on in your own story, but you've also been in talking about the history of salmon fishing uh, as part of your family. How have people connected with you after this? And how did you feel? Did you feel that you overshared at any point? Or is there anything you regret? Or um, Well, I was quite, in, I, I quite interested in the fact that hardly anybody mentioned that they'd heard it. Really? Uh, either of them. Um, <laughs> But, but people have, I can tell you the numbers are very high. <laughs> but um, one thing for me um, was just reflecting back and, you know, actually having, having the chance to actually remember all the things that you were, you know, you'd not necessarily remembered from the past, which I'm sure other people would feel the same. I remember when we were talking about going down to Camus, particularly, I was asking about the smells of places, because or the way that we work, so as a filmmaker, I'm really interested in <coughs> the sensory world, because that's the pre-rational, and you engage the, pre the pre-rational when we watch films or we listen to things, pieces of music, like when I hear the, the pipes, I just love that at the start of your theme, every time I'm like, it's just, and that's that physical sensation of, it's not this, oh, I really appreciate the dissonance of the tones they're colliding against, no, there's this pre-rational thing of, it gets to who we are before language comes along, and that's why I think things like smells and taste and feelings are really nice, and there's some lovely photos that your family have shared with Camus as well, like sackcloth things and all sorts, and it's just, that renders it more real for, for people and offers a more a connection across the, listen, the speaker and the listenership, which, again, that's the point, is these connections. But. Seamus, I was just, I was just thinking about the, the person whose piano you went to choose. Yes. Yeah, are you going yeah. to talk about that? I've got a few examples which are, um, there's been lots of positive things that I found out even recently, and I forget which group it was, because I think it was um, Safe Haven, which was the, the trans support group in Cornwall. So when I set out to look at trans issues and, and uh, issues around being gay and sexuality in Cornwall, I, I had very little idea. And then I discovered this group, went to interview them. I had my own experience of discovery and then put it on the podcast. And they uh, wrote to me recently saying they'd had people coming to them because they'd heard about their organisation on the on the podcast and that's the same with there was a food co-op that I went to talk to which was for um, you know people to get hot meals delivered to their door um, and Black Voices Cornwall as well they all had people sort of signposted to them from the podcast so that was a, a really lovely sense of satisfaction and like oh it's this it's just beyond my ego it's actually doing some nice things um, <laughs> of course there was the episode of Tim Smith and he um, was perfectly happy with it before it went out, and and then he and then he uh, th this little f f there was a little flurry of negative stuff about him on some social media page, and he wrote to me and said, "I'm gravely disappointed with you, Seamus. Um, you've taken my words completely out of context." And I said, "Actually, Tim, that's got nothing to do with me. Somebody has taken what you said and turned it into a meme." And I said, "Have you listened to the podcast?" And he said, "No." <laughs> so I, so I sent him the episode, and he listened to it, and he sent an email back saying, oh, I've listened to it and I've really enjoyed it. And he was annoyed that I'd taken a little bit of what he'd said out of context as like a sort of, here's what's coming up later on. And I put the most juicy, spicy part. But he said, apart from that, I'm, I, I stand with what I said and it's all cool. And then the national news, news took it and ripped him to shreds and that all happened. Um, the other thing was that I interviewed a second homeowner in episode one, and this guy I'd met through, I'm a piano tuner as well sometimes, and I tuned his piano. We had a nice bit of banter, so I went, I rang him up a few weeks later, and we had this call. And he just 
I'm so grateful to him because he did just innocently, vo- quite vulnerably, just go. Well, I think this. I think you know, there's no nothing, and I we spend a lot of money in Cornwall each year, and we should have a house here, and I don't see any problems with having a second home. And, and he said all the things, if I'm honest, I, I wanted and needed him to say to prove the point, and and then. Um, we sent it to you know we sent the podcast to all the people all the interviewees before they went out, and uh, and he'd never replied so we it went out and um, and then a few months later I said have have you heard it and he said oh not yet I've not got around to listen to it but I will this week and then another few months went by and I said oh I'd like you to come on a Q and A panel thing but are you too cross with me because what's happened and he never replied and I thought oh dear and then I kid you not three weeks ago I got an email from him saying hello Seamus hope you're well wondering if you could tune my piano soon um sorry I never got round to listening to your podcast (laughs) and then I thought oh okay maybe you should before you get me around like So, and, and that also is brilliant, right? Because he's blissfully, un- and that just sums it all up. Like, he's so unaware that he hasn't even listened to this thing. That, and the amount of people that got so angry about that interview because... But you did it brilliantly as well because you anonymised him. You didn't yes. use the name, which I thought I, was just... I brilliant. knew that I had to keep him anonymous because it would be too... Yeah, I worried for him, you know. That, and that, this comes yeah. into the topic of responsibility as yes. the editor and the listener of... What, you know, like you were saying, there's things that people have said to you yeah. that you'll never share. No, it's not fair, yeah. And there are certain things that I go, oh, is this safe, putting this out about this person? Particularly in a tight-knit community where everybody yeah. knows everybody. And, yeah. you know, yeah, it's interesting what you said about um, not many people have said they listen to your episode, even though we know yeah. statistically. Yeah, it's how listen to, yeah, yeah. Uh, But funny enough, I bumped into Alistair on the ferry the other day, and <laughs> he was chatting to... At one of the chaps that he's interviewed, and I went up to him and I looked at him and I'd, I've never met this man before, but I knew all about his life. And I knew all about his history and his trauma and his education and his schooling. And, and then I kind of went, hello, I know who you are. <laughs> you know, and, and that is a strange interaction, so maybe people know it, but they're not saying it. You know. I think we're also from the West Coast as well, uh, all of us. <laughs> and uh, that's, you kind of keep some things uh, internal about it. Hi, uh-huh. <laughs> that's maybe I think, I think there could mm. be something, yeah. Have we got any other questions? Yeah, coming up the back. A uh, question for Alistair. When will you stop making what we do in the winter episodes and come back to us? It's <laughs> the same with my family, yeah. Um, it's a, that's a really good question, Carl, thank you. Um, so I think... Who is that guy? That's my son. The deep, the deep voice. He's not, he's not from the local Nationalist Party. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. And I've stepped away from them as well. I think I, he's the voice you hear at the beginning of what yes. we do in the winter. Yes, that's yeah, that's yeah. So that's the voice now of, of my son who the, what we do in the winter. <laughs> and then that's yeah, that's the. Um, I think I think I have to stop the project at a certain point because I think it has to be a window, an aperture. I think it has to be an aperture, and hundred is the number I've kind of roughly set myself. But I know when I get to hundred, I'll be like, ah, oh, damn, I should have spoke to them, 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 and them as well. And we've got a, a hit list, and I'm working through. And uh, yes, that sounds yeah. brutal. Uh, so it's, it's, you've read Day of the Jackal, you know. Um, so, um, uh, so there's yeah, there's a number of people we want to speak to, and there's also I really want to like we were talking yesterday. Um, there's a period when you talk to younger people, they don't reflect so much. They have a different form of reflection. They have memories, but their reflection doesn't have the same amount of resonance in it, and which that echoes and, and connects with other people so much. I've, I've found, but actually, I think if we can get young people talking to their grandparents 
and then their grandparents talking to them about what they experienced. I think that may be nice. So I've talked to Loch Don School about potentially doing a project around this. So that'd be Loch Don and Alva and maybe a few others and do see if we can do a few of these things together as well. So the project call will stop and, um, when you're at university. <laughs> yeah, it'll be about uh, after the hundreds, I think, yeah. So. Lovely. Well, unless anyone's... Oh, you, Mary, go on. Come on, you can have a last question. <laughs> I was going to ask Alistair, how do you decide who the next person is that you're going to use or speak to about the next <laughs> podcast? Bearing in mind you said there's nearly 3,000 people live on yeah. Mull, you've still got a few yeah, to cover yet. Totally. Um, I think it's finding the stories that resonate most. And people that you know or have said recommended, I, I never speak to someone who says, "Oh, you must speak to me." Mm. I found that that's immediately like, there's been a few people. And it's like, yeah, warning signs. Yeah. No way, no way, because that's that's broadcast. I'm not interested in broadcast. The broadcast itself. Um, one of my favourite episodes is with Charlotte Mellis. Uh, because Charlotte's a wonderful artist, but she didn't know what the podcast podcast was, and she was just completely open in the most wonderful <laughs> ways, and as Charlotte is, and it was just magic. It was really, really, really great, and and she um, uh, she's so chuffed with how how the episode's been received. She gets <laughs> a real smile. So um, a lot of the time, it's it's I travel by instinct as well, and say so, you know who's who's what, what would go well with what's just come before. Two episodes are forthcoming. Um, the first one is with uh, Cressida Cowell, who is the author of How to Train Your Dragon books, um, who lives on the island of Little Colonsey. And the, that series of books and international films was inspired by the geology, geography and history of this area. So I thought it was vital to talk to her. I really thought that was a really important one to kind of you know, open things up in another way. And then after that, we've got Donald McGilvery, who is a fantastic... Which I'm, I, yes, and I'm over the moon to get to talk to this gentleman. And he's given me stuff that you just... I cannot wait to share it with you because it's about drove roads. The last drove off of Iona. Oh, yeah, totally. All these things, these moments that are gone. Donald's in his 80s now. So these are the moments. So yeah, it's capturing a mixture of young, old, man, female. Someone said to me, well, you talked mostly to men in the pub one night. I don't really go to the pub. And it was like, I really for it. I was like, oh, that's not fair. And then I looked and we, Georgia and I went through it. And it's pretty much 50-50. Right. I had that as well. Yeah, totally. but it also was true as well. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel pressure? Yes. Yeah, I feel like the Grim Reaper, uh, but I really do. It's just, it's. I feel it's. I've got all of these on my shoulders. Uh, that they're, they're, yes, it's very. Um, and like an expectation of like, who are you going to talk to? Yeah. Are you going? And is there a feeling of are you going to do us proud? Yeah. Um, I don't know about doing as proud. That's an interesting one. I think people are. I think because there's so many of them, they understand the nature of some. These are these are truthful moments of these people's existence. Um, but yeah, no, I feel it's a very it's a very heavy weight on my shoulders. Um, uh, because it's such an intimate experience for the listener. So often, that, that, so they don't they don't really. Um, it, it's not. A, it, this is the most public it's been in ages. You know, um, and. So yeah, but I, I love it, and I, I know how much it matters to people, and there's, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't give up on the project. There's times when things get on so on top of my shoulders with other local things. You think, why has that happened? That's really just rubbish. And then one of the older people I spoke to sent me a message in his eighties, saying, "Thank you so much for talking to me. It's so nice to feel I matter again." Mm. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's when the reality kicks in, isn't it? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Proper social purpose. <laughs> yeah, belonging. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's probably a nice note to end on. Um, also, it would be amiss of me not to mention that uh, Seamus's theatre show will be on at the our other venue, the theatre, tomorrow night. Um, I'm sure we can squeeze everybody in who's here. Um, and just to say thank you very much for the conversation and to everybody for coming and engaging with it. It's been fascinating. I'm sure you guys might be around for a little bit longer in the bar if people have questions they were too shy to ask. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you are, if you have things you want to know, do 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 say. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. that is that is exactly it. It can be really difficult and it, to ask these things, and it is an, an intimate thing. So yeah. yeah. And you could you could also ask Seamus what his next project is in the bar, which is also <laughs> fascinating. I know yeah. I've had a forerunner of what that is. Um, thank you for to Tim and Louise for doing the recording this evening thank you so and much. supporting us. That's brilliant. And um, yeah, just to remind everybody in my usual speech that um, we're a pay what you decide venue. So if you would like to make a donation on the way out, your bell Mary's in the um, cafe area and, you, and she'll be able to help with that. Thank you very much, everybody. That was great. Thank you. Thank you.